This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. The lesson today, uh, the supremacy of God in missions through suffering. As you know, this quarter we've been looking at this, and as Pastor Coles alluded to, everything's divided into two lessons. So, but today we're going to look at the supremacy of God uh, in missions through suffering. God uses suffering. God uses suffering to glorify himself and to spread the gospel. And today, hopefully, uh, by the end of the lesson, we'll improve our understanding a little bit on the purpose of suffering and uh, to relate some of that suffering to the work of missions. And that's our goal, our objective, if you will, today. So now I need everyone to please listen to this next statement I'm going to say. What we're talking about this morning is suffering as a result of God's will in the life of a Christian. Suffering in the life of a Christian as a result of God's will and how God uses that suffering to promote the gospel in the work of missions. What we're not talking about is what I call self-inflicted or self-induced suffering. If we obey the word of God, uh, we'll be blessed. We'll have his favor, uh, good things, will come from the Lord. But if we disobey the word of God, then we inflict upon ourselves uh, suffering. We're not talking about self-inflicted suffering today. If I decide to jump off a 20-story building and I suffer for that, that's something I did. That was not God's sovereign will. We understand that? So today we're just talking about Christians and God's suffering that he intends uh, for us to have and then relate that to missions. I hope that helps us understand that. I hope we can stay on track. I hate it when I get off track. So, okay, the first thing we're going to look at, your first blank is uh, suffering. It's obvious, suffering. So we're going to look at suffering. And it's interesting that God uses suffering uh, to spread the gospel. But the gospel does move forward in the times of suffering. Uh, for, for Christians, if we talk about suffering, what's the first name that comes to mind? Job. All right, in Job, uh, we know that from the Old Testament. He suffered. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, from the riot in Ephesus under Paul's preaching uh, to the, in Thessalonica in Acts 17, there was a lot of opposition and difficulty, and they seemed to be companions to Paul as he tried to spread the gospel uh, and take the word of God out. And then if we stop and, and review missionary history, and we look just down through the annals of time, we could talk about different missionaries. We could spend the next couple days or more just talking about different missionaries and all that they have gone through and all that they've suffered uh, to uh, expand the word of God and, and to get God's word out. But I want to—I just want to look at one person today, one missionary, uh, and that's uh, Adoniram Judson and what he went through and how God used suffering in his life uh, to expand the gospel in Burma. 
And all the years that he spent in Burma, he lost two wives. Seven of his 13 children passed away, and colleague after colleague died. There was a lot of suffering uh, that went on there in his life, but I just want to use one, uh, one instance in his time there, one instance of suffering, and, and show how that expanded uh, or allowed him to expand the, the gospel ministry. His second son, Roger, died while they were in Burma. And because of the loss of that child, uh, Adoniram formed what is termed an unlikely relationship with the viceroy of Rangoon and his wife. And because of that relationship, uh, he, the viceroy was able to shut down some of the persecution that Adoniram was experiencing uh, from the unscrupulous petty officials that were hindering his, the advancement of the gospel. So what I want you to see there is that God used the suffering, the loss of this son, although it's tragic and although it's suffering and although it's painful, but because of that and then the unlikely relationship, then he was able to, uh, his work was not hindered. He was able to advance the gospel more in the country of Burma. So that's kind of an illustration of what we're talking about. And I hope all that makes sense so far. We all together okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, as we consider suffering, a natural question might come to mind, and this will be your next blank. Who is the cause? Who is the cause of suffering? And I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4, uh, and I think your notes say verses 27, 28, but we're going to look at verses 26 through 28. Acts chapter 4 verses 26 through 28. And I think that'll help us to understand what we're saying here. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to look at Scripture, of course, uh, and to see that in Scripture, part of the answer is that Christians suffer because God appoints suffering. He, he makes it uh, happen. If all we read in the Bible about believers suffering uh, was, was about Job, then we would come away or conclude that God just kind of sits there and allows it to happen. But that's not the case, as we'll see here in Acts chapter 4, and I hope you're there. Uh, so as we investigate in the Word of God, we're going to see that Christian suffering is, is better described as an outworking of God's sovereign will. It's an outworking of God's sovereign will for suffering in the Christian life, okay? So Acts chapter 4, verses 26 through 28 says this. The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together. That's pretty much everyone, isn't it? Verse 28, and here's what we need to see. For to do whatsoever thy hand, Lord God, your hand, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. So can you see what's going on there? The greatest 
probably the greatest suffering throughout history, the suffering of Christ, was not something that God just passively sat there and says, oh, I hope this turns out all right. You know, I'm going to allow this to happen. That's not what happened. Actually, God uh, decided that this should happen. He needed it to happen for our benefit. God is not a victim that sits there and passively allows things uh, to happen, let the suffering for Christians. In this case, at least, God was the all-powerful agent even moving the plans of the wicked men to accomplish his good and holy purpose. Purpose, of course, is you and I needed a savior. We needed a sacrifice for our sins. We needed a way to be made where we can be righteous with a holy God. And we can't do it through works. We can't sing well enough. We can't give enough money. We can't attend church enough. We can't do any good things enough. We needed a Savior. And, and God knew that. And so God allowed, even moved, prophesied hundreds of years before that his son was going to die on an old rugged cross for you and for me. So do you see that God was the agent there in the suffering that accomplished missions, that accomplished the, out, the, the going out of the word of God? We heard it. We got saved. Praise God for that. Listen to what Paul says about our suffering. When he was writing to the Thessalonians, in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3, chapter 3, uh, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, and he told them, he said, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. They're suffering afflictions. He says that no man should be moved by these afflictions, for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. And he's telling them that. For verily, when we were with you, Paul says, remember, when I was with you, he says, for verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and ye know. So the apostle Paul is saying that in the life of the Christian, you're going to experience suffering. But I think it was best said by Jesus in John chapter 16, verse 33. He says, these things, listen, he says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Period. Next sentence. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Not might, not maybe, not possibly, but in the world ye shall have tribulation. And I love it. He puts a colon in there. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Thank you, Lord. We praise God for that. But Jesus is telling us that in this world, in this life, we are going to experience uh, tribulation. And I've got to make sure I only flip one page at a time, not two. So it's God, it was God's sovereign will that his son, Jesus, should suffer and die. And it's that same sovereign will from the same God that you and I, as Christians, determined by his counsel, will experience suffering. Not talking about self-inflicted, self-induced, being stupid, suffering. Okay? Talking about God's sovereign will that you and I will experience suffering. And Jesus said we're going to have it. So with all that in mind, the next logical question is, and it's point B in your notes, and I believe it's your next, uh, next blank, 
Why does God appoint suffering for his servants? Why does God appoint suffering for his servants? You and me as we go about our lives. We've accepted Christ as our Savior, so why would he appoint suffering to us? Well, first off, uh, that's a, I mean, that's a good question. It's a difficult question to answer. Why would, a good, why would a good and loving God, if he loves us so much, why would he uh, appoint or will or purpose uh, or destine his children to suffering? Obviously, we want to go to Scripture for that. We don't want to go to Oprah Winfrey. We don't want to go to any of these other secular magazines or reality TV shows. We're not about any of that. We're only about the Word of God. Okay? And that's where we need to get our answers for all of life's questions. Okay? Suffering can lead to deeper faith and greater holiness. Those are your next two blanks, I believe, in point one under B. Suffering can lead to deeper faith and greater holiness. I'm going to go ahead and give you, for those of you on live stream, I'm going to give you the verses and then I'm going to maybe mumble something for a few seconds and get there because of time we need to move on. So you may just want to write them down uh, or, and not take the time to turn there right now, but just listen, then you can turn to them and read them later. But 2 Corinthians 1, uh, verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 says, For we would not, brethren... Have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia? This is the Apostle Paul writing to those in Corinth. That we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead. We're talking about God appointing suffering. So here's the Apostle Paul the great Apostle Paul that could perform miracles and all kinds of things, and he says, listen, there was a time we were out there, we were despaired of our life. We thought, we looked at our circumstances, the surroundings, and all the things that's going on, and we said, we're going to die. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves. What that did was it brought them to the point to where they said, We've got to trust in God. That is our hope. God is our hope. God is our way out. God is the one that's going to meet us in this time of need. Okay? So even the Apostle Paul said that. Appointed suffering strengthened his faith in God. Why did it take so long to get to the point that he thought he was going to die before he turned to God? We do this a lot of times, folks. We, we just think that we've got the answer, we know what we're doing, and we just go on and do our thing. Anytime, any situation comes up, bam, first thing we should be doing is going to the Lord. We hear the big C word, and what do we do? We run to the doctor. We're going to see this person. See the first person we need to go is the great physician. We need to turn to the Lord first and foremost. And that's what Paul's saying here, is we can't trust in ourselves. We've got to trust in God. So I hope you can understand that this appointed suffering strengthens our faith in God. We trust him, and it improves the way we live our lives. It improves our walk with the Lord. It gives us greater faith and greater uh, holiness. The second uh, point here under appointing suffering 
Number two, suffering can give us greater joy in our reward and the glory of Christ. Now Paul was in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Now he's going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. Remember back here he was depressed even and thought he was going to die. Now look what he says in, in verse 17 of chapter 4. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is saying, look, we had this appointed suffering, we understand it, but in light of eternity, it's light. We're just here for a moment. Our life is but a vapor, and you understand that. So what we're going through, the suffering in here is light affliction when we consider eternity. And when we consider the glory, the wonder, the majesty, and everything that we will experience in heaven later on when we die, this is nothing that we're going through. We've got to keep focused on the Lord. Appointed suffering is small compared to eternal rewards and the glory of Christ. Just imagine seeing Christ face to face, that glory. All the, all the suffering, every the pain, it's gone. It doesn't matter anymore. Number three, suffering can wake up other Christians and make them bold. This is appointed suffering from God. Philippians 1.14 says, And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident, Paul says, by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Appointed suffering seen in us, witnessed in us by other Christians can cause them uh, to be bolder witnesses is what he's saying. The people were viewing Paul, were viewing all that they were going through, all the struggles of the tribulations that they were having. And they're saying, if Paul can go through this, well, you know, I'm a Christian I need to go through it as well. I, and I can, I can be a better witness because of that. And I'll give you this illustration. As you know, I was in jail ministry. We had an individual that was paralyzed on one side. But every week, every week he was faithful to be at the jail. He pushed a TV card up and he showed a video to the inmates and then answered questions and had a prayer with them. Faithful every week. And some of the other elderly gray-haired volunteers would say, you know, I look at him, and if he can make it every week, I don't have any excuse, I'm going to be here. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, we live the Christian life, we go through suffering, and people are watching us, and they see us go through it, and they say, wow, you know, it, hey, I can do that too. It makes them bolder witnesses. Number four, Suffering moves Christians to places where God wants them. The blank there is moves. The blanks earlier were wake up. And four, it's moves. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, And Saul consenting unto his death. Now this is the stoning of Stephen. Remember Paul was there and he was holding the robes and all that. But he was consenting, he was agreeing with, he was saying this is the right thing to do. This is the stoning of Stephen. And Saul was consenting unto his death. 
And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. <laughs> Those last three words, Pastor, you might want to do a sermon on that sometime. The apostles were glued in place, evidently. But this great persecution that's going on in Jerusalem scattered the Christians. They, they were fleeing the persecution. They were fleeing the problems, getting away from there. Uh, and, and you can understand that. That's a, that would be a normal thing. If you have a family and kids and people are killing people because they're Christians, you might want to get out of Dodge yourself. And so that's what's happening here. They were appointed suffering, and it scattered God's people. And they carried with them God's message. So God appointed the suffering to scatter God's people and take God's message out. They were all missionaries, in a sense, if you will. So I hope you can understand that one as well. And then probably the most important for us to consider and understand, looking at where our culture is headed today, and what the Bible teaches about our desperately wicked hearts, is that, number five, suffering magnifies the power and worth of Christ. And I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46 is what we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. It's a very familiar passage. You'll understand it. You'll remember it when you get there. But it's Jesus speaking, uh, and he's teaching. And so Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. And Jesus says, and, and this may seem like it doesn't fit, but just bear with me. This fits like a glove, okay? Verse 44, again... The kingdom of heaven is likened to treasure hid in a field, the which, when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth a field. Verse 45, again the kingdom of heaven is likened to a merchant man seeking a goodly pearl, seeking goodly pearls, who, when he hath, had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Suffering magnifies the power and worth of Christ. And so we look at these verses that Jesus is teaching us on, and the idea here is the worth or the value of that hidden treasure out in the field or that pearl of great price is worth everything that they've got. So they, they take all that they have, they sell it, they buy the field or buy the pearl. So here's the idea. The worth of the kingdom of God is made plain by this teaching. We're not to be thankful for the stuff that we have in life. You might have a nice house, two or three BMWs or Mercedes or whatever, just cars, land, bank accounts. All those are stuff that we have. That's not what we're to be thankful for. But by what we will gladly lose, what we will take everything and sell to buy, that has a great value. Imagine you take everything you have and you sell it and you take all that money and you go buy one thing. That one thing obviously is worth everything else that you have, right? 
So that's what Jesus is teaching here. The, the kingdom of God, uh, our dedication to it, we will gladly lose, or we should be ready to gladly lose all that we have for the kingdom of God. Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10 is another verse we had here. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul says, I'd rather glory in my infirmities, that Christ rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So I hope we can wrap all this up together and put a little bow around it and tie there a little bow on it and say, you know, we understand that God, Christ, the work of the Lord, the kingdom of God is worth everything that we have, even life itself. Missionaries down through the years, uh, many people have suffered and died uh, for Christ and for the Christian work. So appointed suffering that comes from God demonstrates in a practical way that the power and the worth of Christ is worth suffering for. And those are just some of the reasons on why a good and loving God allows, permits suffering. And so now let's consider uh, who suffers? Who suffers? The question that we just consider brings us to a, another inevitable question as we go along, similar. Is this sort of suffering that we're talking about, is this for normal Christians? Or is it just for missionaries or pastors or Christian workers? Who's it for? Well, let me just say this. Now, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. But suffering is normal for Christians. Suffering is normal for you and for me. We just had a prayer time for all these people that are suffering with physical infirmities. And I'm sure that list is not exhaustive. There's much more suffering going on out there. But uh, we have that. Suffering is normal for Christians. John 15, 20. Jesus says... Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours. I mean, that's pretty clear in my book. Jesus is telling us like it is. He's not pulling any punches. Now, there's nothing secret about it. If we, are, if we name the name of Christ, if we just call ourselves a Christian, we're going to experience suffering. And if you have any questions about that, go ahead and put on a shirt that says Jesus saves and go to Seattle or Portland or California, New York City, Washington, D.C., just about anywhere in America today. You wear a big sign on your chest that says Jesus saves, and there's a lot of places you will experience suffering. You will experience persecution. You will experience someone in your face. And it's sad, but that's where our country has gone. 
And that's where it's at. But that's what Jesus is saying. If they persecuted me, or since they persecuted me, and they have persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Name the name of Christ, and you'll be persecuted. You can name the name of Mohammed, Buddha, like Pastor was saying. Nothing. But you name Christ, and you will get some suffering going on there. You'll be persecuted. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, the Bible says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Beloved, and you know this verse, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. We don't sit there and say, well, you know, I'm so special. I, I'm, I'm just... You know, I'm too good. I, I'm not going to suffer. No one's going to pick on me. I'm such a nice guy. You know, look at me. I go to church and wear a suit and everything. No, you will be persecuted. Think it not strange of the fiery trials that's going to come against you. This is the word of God speaking to us. Acts chapter 5 and verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. We have one other verse, uh, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 34. For ye compassion on me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Our Lord suffered. And because we name the name of Jesus Christ, we can expect. Please understand, we can't expect suffering. We can't expect some sort of persecution. We can't expect that when we go to work, maybe we're not invited to all the social functions that's going on. Maybe people are going to laugh at us behind our back. Maybe they're going to make fun of us. I don't know. Maybe your neighbors won't talk to you. Uh, Anything can happen, but there will be some persecution. We can expect it at some point, but like Christ, We need to count our suffering as joy. And another question that one might ask is, D, should should Christians choose to suffer? Should Christians choose to suffer? I'm going to give you two answers to that. No and yes. (laughs) I'm not going to play a game. No and yes. Should Christians choose to suffer? Uh, You know, it's one thing for Christians... Uh, to accept suffering joyfully, but should a Christian deliberately choose uh, to suffer? Let's think about this. No is one answer, because it's foolish to tempt God. Consider the Apostle Paul and some of the things he said. You know, say, hey, 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 I'm Jewish. You know, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews, and so he's not in prison because of his birth. he had friends that would lower him in a basket outside the wall to, to escape the persecutors and get out of town. So Paul did not deliberately go out and say, hey, I want you to persecute me. I'm going to do something so that you, you can get me. No, he, he was not purposely, he was not uh, voluntarily looking for ways to suffer. Uh, but he was willing to suffer for Christ. And so then we come to the yes part of the answer. Yes, we should 
choose to suffer, and when not suffering or avoiding persecution, would be to commit a sin. And I believe Peter said it best in Acts chapter 5 and verse 29, very familiar verse, then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, what did they say? We ought to obey God rather than man. And so when a situation comes up that if we go along with that situation, it causes us to sin, then we, we have to say, no, yes, I'm going to choose to suffer. No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and so the more, listen, the more we know about the word of God, the more we understand the commandments, the principles, the precepts, and what we find in the word of God, the more likely we're able to decide on ourselves on whether we should choose to suffer or not. Sometimes you may need to, as pastor said, come to the church, talk to the pastor, talk to someone here, get some godly counsel uh, and help you through those situations. Some are not black and white, some are haze gray, and we need to think about them. But the more we think about our decisions and we line it up with the word of God, then we'll make the right decision. So there's another question we look at here in E. What about causing others to suffer? Should a Christian cause someone else to suffer? Well, let's consider this situation. Let's say that you're in the military, they transfer you overseas, it's predominantly Islamic country or whatever, and you get to know some people, form some associations, and, and people are starting to maybe ask you about Christianity. You know that if you witness to them and they get saved, their family could throw them out of the family, they could lose their job, they could even be executed. When I was in the jail, we had a Muslim that converted to Christianity, and I got an English copy of the uh, original document where his father and uncles signed a statement that they wanted this man killed. The father signed a written statement he wanted his son killed because he had converted to Christianity. So the question is, in a situation where you know someone could come to that, should you tell them about Christ? Should you try and get them converted when you know, when you know the problems and the pains and the possibilities uh, that they could experience? Well, the obvious answer, well, maybe not the obvious answer, but the, the true answer, the correct answer is yes, you should tell them. Even though it may mean they're going to be executed, yes, you need to tell them. And here's why. Let's say you don't tell them. They live their life as a, as a good, upstanding Muslim. They die. Where are they going? to hell, to burn in the lake of fire for all of eternity. You choose to tell them they get converted to Christ and their father has them executed. Where do they go? They go to heaven. Do you understand the persecution, the suffering that they would have now is light, is nothing compared to spend eternity in the lake of fire? So if you find yourself in a situation like that, take comfort, understand, 
Yes, it's right to share Christ with an unbeliever. And I hope that helps you with that. But without a doubt, we should be willing to share the gospel of Christ uh, with those that God brings across our path. And God will bring people across your path that he won't bring across my path. Uh, and so we should all be willing uh, to do that. And then we have a list of uh, things on here. How do we prepare uh, for suffering? Well, number one, uh, it's in your notes. Know the worth of the gospel. Remember we talked about the field. Uh, we talked about the pearl of great price. Uh, as a Christian, our hope, and hope is a Bible word that means our confidence, our assurance. Uh, our hope, our confidence, our assurance is in Christ in the word of God. And we need to be willing to share that uh, in the same way as, as, as in any way we can and, and help others to put their confidence and their hope and assurance uh, in Christ because theirs right now is not in Christ. They have no hope. People who do not have hope in Christ uh, often find suffering intolerable. Uh, they just can't deal with it. They have major problems because it robs them of their only hope, which is pleasure or satisfaction in this life. And if that's all you have, you're most miserable, I can assure you. Uh, but as a Christian, our hope is found in Jesus Christ. So we can prepare for suffering uh, by, knowing, by knowing the worth of the gospel. You can prepare for suffering by knowing how your hope is made visible. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You may not hold yourself in high esteem or put yourself on a pedestal, but let me tell you, folks, people are watching you. Hopefully, every Sunday they can pull back the shade and say, well, must be 9 o'clock. There they go to church every Sunday, 9 o'clock. They're headed over to Good News Baptist Church. People are watching. They know what you're doing. And when their hope is gone and when they run into trouble, many times the lost person, as they face these difficulties, will run immediately to the Christian. Because in their conscious mind, they know we're right. They know God exists. They know there's something in about Christianity that they need. Lost people will come to you if they see a difference in your lifestyle. Pastor talked about integrity today. People need to see that in integrity. Uh, I Sometimes I'm reluctant to give personal examples. It sounds like you're bragging on yourself, but I can say this. I had a supervisor in the military that told me, we, we got on an elevator one day, just the two of us, and he looked at me and he says, you know I hate your guts. And I said, yes, sir, I know that. And I did, and it's true. He said, but I can believe every word that comes out of your mouth. The elevator door opened and we walked off. I don't say that to elevate myself. What I'm saying is this. It illustrates what we're talking about here in Scripture. People are watching you. 
and they're looking at you and they know there are some things about you that make you different. Uh, are you a Christian? You, uh, you must be a Christian the way you're doing. I was sitting at breakfast one morning on an aircraft carrier talking to a friend of mine. This was the best name I was ever called. I've been called a lot of names. But this, uh, this man came and sat down with us. He was one of the chaplains. And my friend and I were sitting there talking, and all of a sudden the guy goes, you must be one of those Bible-thumping Baptists. Amen. And I looked at him, and I said, well, chaplain, what are you thumping? <laughs> and he got so mad, he threw his silverware down, and he got up, and he left the table. Left his food there and everything. He, I mean, he was gone. But the truth of the matter is, People should look at us and know that we're Christians. There should be no doubt. They should say, well, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. And so that's what we're saying here. Be, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always. Always, always, always be ready to say something. Think about what your testimony would be if someone asked you, are you a Christian? How would you respond? What would you say? And, and things are different for in each life, but we must have a clear message. We must, by our lifestyle, by the way we live, the way we act, the way we talk, when I get up in the morning, I pray, Lord, let me think in the Spirit, let me speak in the Spirit, and let me act in the Spirit. I want my testimony to be as best as it can. And that should be the desire of each and every Christian. We want to present a clear message. We can prepare for suffering when it comes by making sure that our current lifestyle makes our hope, which is different than the world's, makes our hope visible. And you can prepare for suffering by, being, by consciously counting the cost. Any area of Christian service any area, and I'm not talking about pastor or missionary, I'm talking about just being a Christian. Any area of your life, any Christian service is going to cost you something. A missionary going overseas, that definitely costs something. That's a no-brainer. We understand that. Uh, any position that you do in the church here is going to cost you suffer something. There may be some suffering in the sense that you're giving up some time or you'd rather do something else. Maybe you're working in the nursery. Uh, which I tried once. I can't do that. Uh, I'm sorry. And I, I praise God for people that can work in a nursery. Seriously, that's a talent, that's a skill uh, that I don't have. I had to sit in a nursery once uh, as part of my practical training for Bible college, and they brought this little girl in and says, yeah, she's potty trained, and they've gone, and she just stood right there and peed on the floor. So, I mean, I'm like, what, what is this? You know, but... Uh, in any event, there, it's going to cost you something regardless of what you do, any form of suffering. And it, and it may come from, like we alluded to before, at work. It may come from your neighbor just not talking to you because I don't want to hear it. Every time I go over there, they're trying to tell me about Jesus. Uh, you go to their house to have supper. They've got a Bible on the table. They pray before they eat. What kind of deal is that, you know? And, and so they may avoid you. That's all right. Our suffering is light. We still need to live a lifestyle that shows forth Christ. Uh, and Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, he says, 
uh, and we're talking about how you need to think about things, the cost. He says in Luke 14, 28 through 30, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Boy, that's a no-brainer. You ever build a house or something and, and you, you didn't figure out what it was going to cost before you started? You got partway through and ran out of money? That's what he's saying there. And then verse 29, Lest haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it, all that behold began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Do you see how not counting the cost, not being able to do what you say you're going to do, is a bad testimony on you? It's a bad testimony on Christ. It's a bad testimony on Christianity. Jesus says we can't be like the world and just run out here willy-nilly doing this and doing that and starting this project, starting that, and quitting here and quitting there. He says count the cost. Count the cost and then do what you say you're going to do, like Pastor was talking about this morning, your word. So obviously all of us live our lives different. We're going to face the different things, but we need to develop a spirit of trust in the Lord and his word and count the cost so we can prepare for suffering. And we can prepare for suffering if we cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Da, 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 da. Does that tie in with Thanksgiving or what? <laughs> okay. So we prepare for suffering if we cultivate a spirit of thankfulness. Listen, and not entitlement. If we all got what we were entitled to, if we all got what we deserved, every last one of us would be in hell right now. If we got what we deserve. Pastor talked about that during the invitation. And I love how all this stuff ties together. Uh, he said we all have baggage. We all have a past. We all have done something wrong. Uh, that's not the point. The point is, did we receive Christ as Savior? Did we repent and turn from our wicked ways? Uh, so we're not entitled to anything and everything. But because God loves us, and in every situation, we need to be thankful. I love Ephesians 5.20, where it says, giving thanks always in all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and for all things unto God. And I have a few words written down here for one of my favorite hymns. And when it comes to suffering, understand it's coming. Understand we've got to deal with it. Prepare for it. Be ready. But here's my favorite hymn. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's just a light suffering. Well, Lord willing, this lesson helped us to just get a little clearer understanding of God's suffering, how he wills suffering to accomplish his mission effort, to send missions out. And suffering is just part of the part of the. Uh, uh, work of missions because it glorifies the worth of God and prayer must also be a part of missions it glorifies the kindness and the unstoppable power of God 
Both need to be a part of God's work. So, next week, we will consider with, uh, we will con- we'll continue with the supremacy of God in missions through par- prayer. So, with that, y'all have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and make sure you thank God for all the stuff he's given you, but make sure you th- prepare to be a witness to others. And, one more prayer. As Pastor Coles and Miss Coles will be traveling out of town, make sure you're praying for their safe return. You could be stuck with me, suffering. <laughs> so we want them back safely. No, seriously, we do. Let's, let's close with prayer. Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you that you love us so much, that, Lord, you put us into situations where we must turn to you so that we can see your power and your glory as you work things out for us, because it couldn't have been done if you didn't do it. And so we thank you for that. And so, Lord, we pray uh, as we approach the Thanksgiving season, Lord, this week, that, uh, Lord, we do thank you for all the blessings of life you've given us. Uh, We are so unworthy, but you're so generous and so loving towards us, and we thank you for that. Now, we pray, Father, that uh, we'll be a good testimony as we go through the the week and every day. We do pray for a safe journey, mercies for Pastor Coles and his wife. Pray you'll give them a a refreshing time away, Lord, uh, relaxation, and bring them back to us uh, safe and sound. Father, be with us all. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened and God's word has had an impact on your life as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.